Well, good evening. It's good to be here with you. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't be here last night, but we have a church choir. Um, we're practicing for some programs. We haven't done this for maybe more than about five, maybe five years now since we've done it, and I was one that was pushing to have it happen, so we had chorus practice last night, so I thought I probably should be there. <clears throat> Um, I do have outlines for you here. I know how it is when you sit there and uh, things just go over your head here, maybe. Open it up. And they're for tonight and tomorrow night. So you probably noticed that the subject is the Bible. <laughs> um, that's a pretty broad. I could have given some specific um, titles, <clears throat> um, but this let me not have to have it all my ducks in a row uh, quite as early. Many of us have grown up knowing about Jesus, maybe all of us. We celebrate his birth. The incarnation, God becoming man, we believe, we heard tonight about evolution, we believe that's false. We believe God spoke the world, the universe, into existence. And that he then entered that universe as a human being. And through his sinless life, his death and his resurrection, we can be restored to God. Now, how do we know that? Well, for many of us, this knowledge, everything I just told you, has been passed down for quite a few generations. Um, I think I'm 10th generation. Uh, I'm the 10th generation since my ancestors came from Europe. I found, uh, maybe this past year, there's a booklet, Jonas Z. Peachy, I think it's Z, a Peachy booklet, and it lists my ancestors from those that came over. And they knew this. But how did they hear it? Where did they get this? Originally, someone came and told them this story. And this story was found in a book that our ancestors couldn't read. Eventually... It became available in language they could read. And today we hold this book in our hands, the Bible. It's a book that claims it comes from God. How do we get this book? There is a religion that believes they have a book from God. It was given directly by God. Man just copied it down. And it's totally accurate in the original language. While it can be translated into other languages, it's only in the original language that it's actually the Word of God. And it's more important to read it in the original language than it is to understand it. 
Now, that religion is not Christianity. Sometimes, maybe it does sound a little bit like it. Uh, it's actually this book here, <clears throat> the Quran. Those claims are made about this book. So this is in English because I can't read Arabic. I'm curious, how many of you ever read in the Quran? Okay. I th well, I think there's only two ladies here. You men haven't, you don't, they should read what the ladies are reading. Uh, but I would actually encourage you to read in it sometime. It, it's, it's fascinating. This one is not a very... Um, well, I actually have two. This one's easier to read than the other one, but it's not very Arabic because it starts in the front here and goes to the back. You know, in Arabic, they start in the back and go to the front. Um, <clears throat> but this is actually not the true Quran because it's in English. So how did we get the Bible? Where did it come from? Who or how was it decided what would be in the Bible? Who decided what's going to be in the Bible? Did God give it down just like this? He said, this is it. <clears throat> how did it get into English? And then, and then in English, why are there different versions and why are, there, why are there differences in the versions? And is there only one version that's inspired by God? Is it really important to be able to read the Bible? And of course, we can ask questions like, does everyone that wants the Bible have access to it? And what's our responsibility with this? <clears throat> and this week, I'm going to address some of these questions. And I remember the first, when I first heard some of these things, it was a bit disconcerting, a bit unsettling, actually. You mean we no longer have original copies? We don't have any original copies. <clears throat> and God used people to write, and he let them express their own personalities as they wrote. And then this is not the original. It was translated into English. It wasn't given in English by a person that makes mistakes. I mean, you all make mistakes, right? None of us is perfect. And if you were to become a translator, would you suddenly become perfect and not make any mistakes? Now, maybe it was different back then. Back when this was written, you know, people were more godly and God guarded them better or something. But no, they were just as human as we are. In, in some ways, it's easier not to question. Just take, look, this is God's word. God gave it to us. This is it. Okay, that's what happened. <clears throat> Just let humans out of the picture. God gave us this. Digging into the details of how we got it um, can be a bit unsettling sometimes. And yet, we heard tonight about the, or you heard maybe it was last, about the truth, how we need truth. And I think we need to be seekers of truth. If we're not seekers of truth, we're more liable to be deceived. Talks about that in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And so we're going to look at some of these things um, this week. And if you have your outlines there, and I don't know if you brought pens along. Um, I don't have any extras there, but you see the front one there. It says Monday. Um, a little bit down it says the Bible is God's message to us. <clears throat> but for a theme verse this week, I have the verse written out there for you. You tell me what the reference is.
without looking. It's all right if you can't. I don't know if I could have, but. 1 Corinthians 3.11. That's correct. 1 Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation. Actually, let me back up a little bit. Verse 10. According, Paul speaking here. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Incidentally, this was a favorite verse for Men of Simons. I think he put it on the front of all his uh, writings that he had published. Other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's speaking about what to build our life on. Jesus Christ is the only thing, only worthy foundation to build upon. And so, now, as we go through this here, I'm not going to have an overhead here, so you just need to pay attention and fill these in as we, as, as we go there. But when we speak of the Bible, our faith is not in having a flawless copy. Our faith is not in having a flawless copy that has no mistakes. That's not where our faith is. <clears throat> Rather, our faith is in God, that he is utterly capable of giving us the message he wants us to have, even though it comes to us through fallible humans. Let me just read that again. When we speak of the Bible, our faith is not in having a flawless copy with no mistakes. Rather, our faith is in God, that he is utterly capable of giving us the message he wants us to have, even though it comes to us through fallible humans. And so this first uh, message here is a foundational message on the importance of the Bible, its inspiration, and its value as our guide. And so I've entitled it, The Bible, God's Message to Us. <clears throat> as we think about its importance, the first thing I have there is God created we're familiar with this, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. <clears throat> and John chapter 1. Says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word was with God and was God. It says the word created everything. <clears throat> Colossians 1.16 tells us that Jesus created everything. So this word, the logos here, is referring to Jesus. So God created. But not, God not only created, God communicated. Second point there is God communicated. And we're familiar with this. <clears throat> God talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke to people, sometimes in visions and dreams. He spoke to Noah in Genesis 6, recorded in Genesis 6, 8, and 9. Abraham, Genesis 12 on. <clears throat> By the way, I used to think sometimes it would be nice, wouldn't it be nice if God would speak to you just like he spoke to Abraham? Like, literally, you're here. But you, you do this study on your own, and how many times God did that? In his lifetime, he had no Bible. I mean, he might have had some writings from uh, Adam, 
about the beginning there. But so God speaks, but you get it only so many times in your life. And there's no Holy Spirit like we have available. There's no scripture. Uh, he spoke to Isaac, Genesis 26, Jacob in tw- uh, Genesis 28, Moses in Exodus 3. He spoke on Mount Sinai. Exodus 20 tells us that they, the people actually heard God speaking, and it terrified them. And he spoke through the prophets. And then, thirdly, God came. God came. Matthew 1 talks about Emmanuel, God with us. And we can say that so glibly, but imagine, really, God becoming a human. God with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 1. Read a couple verses there. I guess you should have your Bibles in Bible school. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the greatest revelation of God. He is, it says here, the express image or the exact representation of God. And he purged our sins and he made a way back to God possible. He also gave the Spirit. John 14 and 15 talks about a comforter, the Spirit of truth who will testify of Jesus. John 16 says how he'll guide us in all truth, into all truth. And Acts 2, maybe you heard about that uh, yesterday, I don't know. The Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. And all this is recorded in a book. All this is recorded in a book, the Bible. So God chose to give us a book. Various times in the Bible, it's recorded that God either wrote or that God told people to write. Now, he could have chosen to give us his word through oral traditions, stories that are passed down, but he didn't. He chose to give us in a book. Now, I understand that there are some cultures around the world that are just oral. They don't write, read or write anything. They just pass it down um, orally, tell their stories. Personally, I think that any culture like that is a corruption of what should be. That's not really God's intent. Maybe I'm speaking out of order there, but the devil knows that God gave a book, so he's very glad if there are cultures that have no idea of books. They just pass it down orally. <clears throat> and we might think that, you know, well, if those cultures that did that or um, do that have their ways of preserving their information, and, and perhaps that's, that, that's the case, I don't know. I, I remember hearing from an Ethnos 360 or New Tribes translator who worked with the Hoti people in Venezuela, 
and they were a completely oral tribe. And he said, there was a great variety in their legends and stories. I mean, he's, what he said is, they're, bad, they're people with bad memories just like us. So we sometimes, I have sometimes thought at least, and especially reading about the Indians, you know, how they passed on their oral traditions, and maybe they were better back then. I don't know. Maybe they were. Uh, but at least in this group, no, actually, it, just passing it down orally is not a very accurate way of doing it. But anyway, God chose to give it to us in a book. And the fact that God chose to give his message through a book is why it's very important that Christians learn to, you tell me, read. Christians need to learn to read. And I just challenge us fathers. Do we believe that God wants all of our children who have the mental capability to be able to read? It's not just that we want them to read or that the state wants them to read, but God wants them to read and to read well, to read with understanding and comprehension, not stumbling along and sort of being able to pronounce the words. Does God care about that? How much does he care about it? So, what if you have a child that couldn't, can't walk? Is that a big deal? I mean, my children can all walk, but I'm pretty sure if I have a child that couldn't walk, that would be a big deal to me. And if, if, if I were to hear that, you know what? There's surgery we can do. And, and maybe they'll be able to walk. How, how much would I spend? What would I be willing to spend? What energy, what effort would I be willing to go through so my child can walk? Isn't it more important that they can read than walk? Since God gave his message in a book, isn't that more important? Now we can say, well, they can hear it from someone else, and that's true. But remember, God didn't just give it in a way so that we can hear it from others. He gave it in, a, in written form. And I recognize there are different abilities. There are different abilities. Not all children will be able to walk and not all children will be able to read. But God forbid that our children can't read well because we don't think it's that important. I, think, I really think we will answer to God for that. If my child can't read and I didn't do everything I could, and I recognize, I think about this. So what about, well, wait a minute, what about poor people in other countries? You know, does God hold them accountable? Well, I would say probably as much as they can. As much as they can. They probably couldn't do the other things that we do for our children. Um, and we're willing, to, we're willing to go to quite a bit of lengths. Maybe it's teeth. I don't know. I assume some of you get braces for your teeth, for your children's teeth. And that's expensive, I know, from personal experience. And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't. But I'm just saying here, and maybe I get a rant here because I'm a teacher, but God gave us his word in written form. I think that says something about the importance of our children being able to read and to read well. And so Christians believe that God put into the Bible what he wanted in the Bible. Now, he didn't do it directly. He didn't give this book down from heaven. He used people to write and compile it. Secondly here... I'm going to look about how it's inspired by God. 
So how did God give the Bible to us if he didn't give it to us as a completed book? Well, God spoke through people. God spoke through people. Yet Christians believe the Bible is inspired by God. The Bible itself claims to be a direct word from, a direct word from God. Expressions such as, the Lord commanded or the Lord spake saying are used more than 2,000 times in the Bible. Um, I want to look at some scripture where it uh, makes some of these claims. So we think about, first of all, the Old Testament. How do we know the Old Testament is inspired by God? Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1. Peter speaking here. 2 Peter 1, verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's just saying here, the things I've been teaching you, that we've been teaching you, this is not something we've made up. We saw this happen. We were there. <clears throat> for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye, unto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that arises in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> He's saying here in 20 and 21 that no prophecy of the scripture came through the prophet's own interpretation. It was not just coming from themselves. What the Old Testament prophet said came from God. He, and he's speaking about the Old Testament here. He's talking about the Scripture. He's not speaking about the New Testament because the New Testament wasn't compiled yet. So when we read in the New Testament about the Scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament. That was their Scripture. That's what they would have used, uh, said was the Scripture. <clears throat> and it came from God. It wasn't just their own thing. Second Timothy. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, again, speaking of the Old Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration, the word that was translated inspiration, comes from a Greek word meaning divinely breathed in. Whatever that means. It's divinely breathed in of God. And again, this was written before the New Testament was compiled, so he's speaking of the Old Testament. Now, let's look at the New Testament. How do we know the New Testament <clears throat> is also inspired by God? Well, if we think of Hebrews, back where we read, just read there, Hebrews chapter 1 there, it talks about 
how God spoke through, in time past, spoke through the prophets, and now has spoken in these last days through Jesus. The teachings of Jesus aren't just the teachings of a great prophet. It's a message from God. And indeed, he's saying Jesus is the express image of God. And then 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. This is an interesting passage here. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Paul speaking here about how church leaders should be supported by the church. Says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those that they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, okay, what does this have to do with inspiration? Well, notice what he says The scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Where is that found? Well, Deuteronomy. 25.4. Basically says that. That's what he's quoting there. And then he says, it also says, the labor is worthy of his reward. Where is that found? It's not found in the scriptures. In the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, the idea is in Leviticus 19.13 and Deuteronomy 24.14 and 15. But if you look at Luke 10... Verse 7, Luke 10, verse 7. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his hire. He was quoting a saying of Jesus and calling it scripture. Okay, so it's, the other one was clearly out of the Old Testament scriptures. They could look and it was there. But this one here, the labor is worthy of his hire, was a saying of Jesus. And he was saying this is scripture. First Thessalonians 4 2 says the commandments we gave you by Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 14 37, uh, Paul says, those who think they're spiritual need to recognize this is God's command. And then another place that's really fascinating is 2 Peter 3. <clears throat> Verse 1 and 2, 2 Peter 3. Verse 1, this second epistle, I beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So be, remember what was spoken by the prophets and what we told you. He's sort of putting it together there. And then even uh, in verse 16, he's talking about, in verse 15, in 16, he talks about, even as our brother, beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, so these are some letters that they would have got from him, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they also do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So he's saying these writings you got from Paul some people, uh, it's, he has some things in there that are hard to understand. And by the way, that's maybe, it's interesting. We actually have a scriptural warning about some, some parts of scripture. Paul's letters. Um, be careful. I mean, he's not saying we shouldn't read it. It's good. But, but there's some things that are hard to understand. 
It's maybe why we shouldn't start in Romans if we're trying to understand the gospel. Maybe we shouldn't start in Romans. That, that's some things that are hard to understand there. Uh, the scripture warns us about it a little bit. But he's saying that people uh, twist that as they do the other scriptures. So he's clearly equating these letters with as scripture. <clears throat> now, in a later message, I want to look at how the Bible was put together and how it was decided what so what was in the Bible or not? Are all Paul's letters in the Bible? Are which letters made it into the Bible and which, did, which didn't and how that happened? But I want to look at a little bit how, what do we mean by inspired? <clears throat> so we say they're inspired by God. What does that mean? Well, there's some common views. There's a neo-Orthodox view. Would say the Bible contains God's word. But God is so transcendent. God is so beyond us that when you try to describe God, you just can't. You just really can't. He's so far beyond us. So the writers in the Bible tried to describe as best as they could. But they didn't get it all right because, I mean, God is so far above us. There's huge problems with that viewpoint. We're saying, but, you know, they did the best they could, but it's not all right. Um... Another view is, well, when we talk about being inspired, <clears throat> the dictation view. God told them what to write. John was there, or Peter was there, or Paul was there, and God basically was saying what to write. You know, and he wrote it down as they said. Well, sometimes this is indicated. It's indicated God said, and then his, says what he said. Other times, it's, the writers express their own personalities. Um, Philippians 1, if you turn to Philippians 1, <clears throat> I mean, did God tell him in verse 3 to write, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. God told me to write that, so I need to write it. I mean, some, some of these things here, always in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. <clears throat> for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I mean, do we say that God said, oh, you tell them how you, I mean, did he, it seems pretty clear God is not dictating it word for word here. There's also the viewpoint of limited inspiration. Well, the Bible is inspired, and it's fully, um, it's inspired and protected when it deals with things it's concerned with, such as salvation in God. When it talks about those things, we can trust it's accurate, because that's what the Bible is about. Now, the parts that aren't talking about salvation and God, yeah, there might be some details in there that are wrong, but don't worry about that. That's not what the Bible is about. And then there's the plenary verbal inspiration view. The Bible is fully protected even as far as the words that are used. Plenary simply means full or complete. It means it applies, when we talk about it being inspired, everything, the whole thing, is inspired, and by verbal we mean even the words are inspired. Now we're not saying God said, use this word, then this word, then this word, then this word, then this word, but no, they could decide the words, but God inspired that. God guided that. It comes from God. It's different for different writers. They write in different styles. They don't all write the same way, um, and God let them do that, and yet it says exactly what God wants it to say. It seems to me that this view is the best uh, description of divinely breathed in. 
So he didn't just tell them what to write, but he guided it. It's a bit of a mystery there. And the Bible uses languages the way we do. There's metaphors there. There's hyperbole. Um, we use hyperbole is exaggeration. We use exaggeration sometimes to make a point. But we don't literally mean do that. But we use that. That's defined in the Bible. There's approximation. I mean, 2 Chronicles 4.2 talks about the bronze labor that uh, Solomon made for the temple. It was round. It was 10 uh, cubits in diameter. And it was 30 cubits around. Now, if you know your math, that's not possible. Okay, if it's 10 across, it should be 31.4. Um, if it's 10 cubits across, it has to be 31.4 um, out around circumference. It's just how every circle is. Okay, no. It's 10 across and 30 around. That's approximation, okay? Now, if we're going to say it has to be, no, it has to, No, we do that all the time. So God used that same language. There's approximations. There's, there's metaphors and so forth in there. Um, and God let that, let it be that way. We believe the original, we believe the original Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic and the New Testament in Greek were inspired by God and have no mistakes. <clears throat> now, we'll have to talk about, we'll talk about how, I already mentioned we don't have the originals, so how do we know that what we have is, is accurate? But we'll get into that later. We're going to look yet at the Bible being our guide. <clears throat> As I said earlier, we know many things about God because of the Bible. And the Bible claims the inspiration of God, and the church has understood it. So, the church has understood this is inspired by God. And the Bible is our guide First of all, to God. The Bible is our guide to God. <clears throat> the Bible is the church's best guide to who God is. Now, I recognize at the beginning, at Pentecost, there was no New Testament. There just wasn't any. Of course, Jesus was there, and Jesus had just been there, and these people had got, learned directly from him. We don't have those people here, but we do have this now. <clears throat> and many times in the Old Testament it says, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. The New Testament speaks of Jesus, tells us many of the things he did and said, <clears throat> and the epistles give us more of his instructions. We can also learn about God through nature and experiences. That is possible, to learn about God through nature and experiences. But these must align with the Bible. <clears throat> the living word and the written word never contradict. The living word and the written word never contradict. Jesus is the greatest revelation of God. <clears throat> and we have to be careful here. Our faith is not in a book. Our faith is in a person. We have faith here. It is possible to know this book and to not be a Christian. You can study it. You can memorize it. But it's not about the book. I mean, yes, the book. I'm, I'm talking about the book, and it's very important. We believe it's given from God, but that's not the basis of our faith. It is Jesus Christ, the living word. 
Jesus is the greatest revelation of God. Yet we know who he is through the written word. And the word sometimes in, in the New Testament is logos. Sometimes it's used speaking of Jesus, the person. Sometimes it's used about what he said. John 15, 3, you are clean through the logos I have spoken unto you. Jesus is the Logos, the divine revelation of God, the rational principle. The Bible is the written revelation of God. It accurately portrays Jesus. If we want to walk in fellowship with God and be his disciples, we must continue in his word. We must read, study, know, and obey the Bible, and it will lead us to the living word. A knowledge of the written word that doesn't lead to a relationship with the living word benefits but little. We can know this. And if it doesn't lead to being more like the living word, uh, then I question what it, good it does us. There's also the other extreme. I remember years ago going door to door and talked to a fellow. Yes, he liked Jesus. Yeah, yep, yep. He doesn't like the Bible, but he liked Jesus. Well, okay, whatever. I mean, Jesus can be whatever you want him to be if he's separated from the scripture. And yet, neither do we have our faith here and not in him. So the scripture is our best guide to who God is, and the living word and the written word never contradict. The Bible is also our guide for life, our guide for life. John 6, 63, the words I speak unto your spirit and life. John 8, 31 to 32. If you continue in my word, Logos, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 51. If any man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. John 12, 48. He that rejects me and receives not my words will be judged by the word he has spoken. <clears throat> John 14, 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. John 14, 24, He that loveth me not keepeth not my saying, sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. It really is our guide for life. And... <clears throat> there really is no better way to live than to follow it. Um, and I know, I, sometimes I feel like a hypocrite to say that because I know what I'm like. You know, you hear about um, if you're filled with the Spirit and the fruit should come out, right? When you get in a pinch or you get uh, under pressure or you get uh, in a tense situation, then the fruit of the Spirit just comes out. Well, I confess... Uh, well, pretty often doesn't seem like that happens. And yet, I want to grow in that. You know, we can see, sometimes it seems like, well, maybe, maybe it's, oh, does it have to be that restrictive? Do we have to actually, do we need to do it? Okay. Um, I was just reminded, it took my mother to a funeral in Iowa. Dad couldn't go this week. 
So there's a flying trip out, and it's one of the ladies a little older than her. Um, and it was just fascinating seeing their family. You know, you can choose, and I knew some of the children, at least one of them, uh, fairly well uh, years ago. But you can choose, you can do your thing. And it might seem like this is great, this is freedom, this is wonderful, but if you don't follow this, when you're my age, I think you're going to regret it. it. It just often doesn't turn out so well. Um, yeah, I guess enough with that. <clears throat> but we do. it is our guide for life. It's also our guide to evaluate things, to evaluate things. So what if God speaks to you through the Holy Spirit? He speaks to you. And he helps you understand that you don't actually need to necessarily do what it says here. You have a vision. And you see, maybe you, in your vision, you see God. You see Jesus. And he speaks to you and... He says, no, no, you don't. There's not just two ways. There, there's, you don't need to love your enemies. You, you, can, you can, come on, you don't need to be so hard about, you know, talk about, I think mentioned earlier, worldliness in the church. Well, Galatians 1.8 tells us what to do. And I think this applies to any vision. Somebody writes a book. On, well, they had a vision, and this is what happened. They, this is whatever. Okay, that's great. That's fine. I'm not saying they're lying, but that doesn't mean that's reality. Galatians 1.8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. It doesn't matter if it's an angel. And maybe it really is an angel. It doesn't matter. If it does not line up with this, then you reject it. It doesn't matter how vivid it was. It doesn't matter how wonderful it made you feel. That's what he's saying here. Okay, we, we can learn from experiences. We can, we, God can speak to us, but the Bible is still our best guide to evaluate things. Now, is this actually from God or isn't it? Okay? And God can. God can give us visions. God can give us inspiration. <clears throat> but if it's not in accordance with the gospel that Paul preached, do not believe it. And where do we find the gospel that Paul preached? In the Bible. When we have questions, when we wonder what does God really want of us, as a church, we can go to the Bible and ask God to help us understand by His Spirit. Now, I'm not suggesting, when you talk about going to the Bible, about I'm not suggesting individualism. So, okay, I'm going to go by the Bible. What the Bible says is what I will do. There's danger in that, too. It's led to many different interpretations. And God gave the Bible through His people. And I believe we should follow it together as His people. We read the Bible individually. It's very important that you don't just go by what your preachers say. 
If you just, well, whatever the preacher said, that's what, that's what he said, that's what the Bible said, so that's what it must be. Okay? Well, I, mean, I hope you can trust them, but you should also read it yourself. But we read the Bible individually and corporately. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, and 16. <clears throat> First Corinthians three nine. For we are labors together with God, ye. By the way, ye always is plural. Okay, it's old English there, but whenever it's ye uh, in the King James, it's not. So when we say you, that can be singular or plural. But when it's uh, ye in the King James, it means plural. I think when it's you, it's always singular. I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but ye is always plural. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Verse 16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, plural. You together are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. It talks about how we're God's field, God's husbandry, God's field, God's building, God's temple. We are not God's fields, God's temples, or his buildings. Now, it does tell us elsewhere that individually we are the temple of God. Our body is the temple of God. But my point is here, we do need to read the scriptures. We do need to study it ourselves and together. I, I think it's pretty dangerous. Well, I guess it's dangerous both ways. It's dangerous if you just do, well, whatever the brothers say, that's what we'll do. I'm in this church and whatever the other God shows through the brotherhood, that's what I'm going to do. That's dangerous. But it's also dangerous to say, I'm going to study and whatever I see here, I'm going to do, don't matter what the others say. Be pretty cautious about that. You're God's temple together. You're God's field together. <clears throat> and God has given the church a book to lead us to him, to show us how to live and to keep us from error. And so as we look at how the Bible came to us, I want us to want to increase our faith in God. God is very, very capable of giving us the book that he want, wanted us to have. Though he worked through fallible humans, our faith remains in him that he's given us his message accurately and preserved it accurately. And so we'll talk more about that the other evenings. Thank you.